All right, and we are back. Episode three of Chasing 69, Teddy and I's quest to make the Jets the best. Uh, we are sitting here. It is when you like that. <laughs> no, I didn't either. I, I, I was thinking about throwing it in front of you though. before, and then I was like, I'm just going to say it, and then we'll just see what his reaction is. No, that was the corniest thing. I was trying to think. Oh, yeah. Our quest to make the there's there's got to be some tagline. I don't know. It's just tough when you say Chasing 69, and that's it. That's true. Because, you know, it's, we'll, it's like, we'll find it. We'll find we'll, it. We'll eventually we'll find our voice. But anyways, we are here. <laughs> we're is, we're uh, still looking for it. Yeah, definitely still looking. It is Wednesday, March 30th. Uh, Teddy alongside me, fresh from uh, Syracuse, New York, type light sprinkle. I'm Blake. Yes, Pace. Sir. Um, Teddy, uh, two weeks in a row now, we drop a podcast on Wednesday and immediately Wednesday afternoon, the biggest news of the Jets week hits. We don't get to talk about it for a week. We'll get to all of the news on uh, on how uh, Tyreek Hill was a jet for 10 minutes there for a little bit. We'll have a conversation about some wide receivers as clearly that's a way uh, they are looking to upgrade. Free agency housekeeping today as well to a couple of other signings, um, a couple other comments uh, and takeaways from the league meetings, press conferences with, uh, you know, we heard a little bit from both uh, Joe Douglas and Robert Sala this week. So just picking apart what they're saying there, some other decisions that have been made. And then the big conversation of the day is going to be that fourth overall pick, as you can see by the title of this episode. Uh, taking a look at some prospects available at four. Uh, Teddy and I, we, we've kind of spoke about this before. We're pretty aligned on it, but we'll have a conversation that kind of breaks everything down. First and foremost, Teddy, how you doing? Good, man. I am. Uh, this is going to be probably one of my favorite episodes in terms of the topics we're touching on. So. I'm pretty excited. And, and yeah, I mean, again, with this Wednesday stuff, but, but Tyreek Hill is really what I'm most anxious to talk about just because of how crazy and hilarious it was for that two hour yeah. period where I thought it was going to happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I'll just get right into this. I just wanted to, so as Blake said, it was Tyreek was a jet for 10 minutes for me personally, I, I was feeding my dog, saw the, saw the tweet from Adam Schefter that he was going to start getting traded or that he was like potentially going to be traded very quickly after saw was sent the jets and like the jets and dolphins are both in the mix for Tyreek Hill. Now, when I first saw that, I just skipped over the dolphins part. So I was like, Oh my God, like the jets are the only oh, team that no. are in on them. This is so exciting. So for, I did that for about 10 minutes. Then in our text messages together and with a couple of our other friends realized the dolphins were also in play. So obviously I was feeling the way probably everyone out there was feeling just hopeful, but you never know. Then fast forward about half an hour, I go out to a lunch meeting and <laughs> like after about like 10 minutes at the table, I just start telling like my coworkers that I'm really excited. Like hopefully the jets can, trade for Tyreek Hill. It might happen today. And as I'm telling them this, one of my, one of my coworkers points to the TV behind me and, and reads Tyreek Hill traded to the Dolphins for five picks. And I was, so it Brutal. truly was like in, in just this span of like 40 minutes, the highs and lows and the excitement was, was just all over the place. But you know, it, it's a, it was a crazy time for a second. It was, it was. And I, it, for me, I was at, um, I was at my store and um, Max Goodman, who I, is the guy I work with at Sports Illustrated, um, he's the kind of editor for the Jets page there. 
we're messaging each other when we get the news and he's like, all right, I'm going to start drafting up the news piece. You start taking the analysis of it. We'll get those ready to fire out soon if, if it gets done. And obviously we, we get a couple paragraphs in each and then it's like, well, never mind. He is, uh, he's going to be a Miami Dolphin. So I uh, wasn't, you know, you know, for me, yeah, it would have been fun to talk about. Like, of course, I'm going to love talking about Tyreek to the Jets, especially since the Jets are a team that, um, that I, talk about write about on a weekly basis but to me I, I didn't really have the emotional experience I'm sure that you did uh there was like a fraction of a second before the finalists were announced where I was like hey Chris Ballard used to be the assistant general manager with the Chiefs maybe maybe and then no Chris Ballard does nothing so um yeah it was it was a wild experience uh and I think really what it just shows you and it's something that they've come out and said even in the days following and when we got to hear Robert Sal and Joe Douglas meet as you can see this is my favorite part about the YouTube now is my dog who's a crackhead is just uh I guess he's a little Going bored. Nuts back there I can't have him downstairs because he'll bark and then we'll hear that and so he's he's just I, here but I'm sure anyone watching appreciates getting to see the dog exactly yeah and I, he's just burying his head into a pillow right now so I'm sure he's having a good time. Um, but anyways, what, what it, coming out of it, the Jets have just made it abundantly clear. Look, if there is a star playmaker available, we are going to be in the mix for him, no matter who it is. And, um, you know, I there was they had done their due diligence with Amari Cooper. Um, they had looked a little bit in free agency. Um, of course, being, you know, one of the finalists for their, the Tyree Kill trade is really the closest they've gotten so far. But Teddy, in terms of just being active, uh, being ready to strike a deal if something is ready to be made. What are your thoughts on that as, as kind of from the, the Jets fan perspective? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously it's it's not it's it's it kind of stings to not get him when when you're thinking like, oh, we're gonna get this top five playmaker in the NFL, you know, but at the same time, I don't think it's the end of the world. And exactly I think that just being able to see that Joe Douglas is willing to, okay, we got the draft capital. Now let's go pull the trigger on something to really get a guy who's, who's going to change kind of the overall um, talent in the room. You know what I mean? And, and Tyreek Hill really is one of those types of players. So, I mean, it's good to see that Joe Douglas is willing to be aggressive, but I, I really do think it just came down to Tyreek wanted to play in Miami. So it is what it is. It would have been fun. It's not, um, I do like how it is birthed all of these rumors and I put rumors in quotation marks that the Jets are are going to trade for AJ Brown or DK Metcalf or Debo Samuel. And <laughs> these rumors, again, in quotation marks, have just been circling around the Twitter sphere and have actually been making the fans of those other teams um, respective fan base is pretty upset, which is pretty hilarious to watch and, and see people go back and forth in Twitter. Um, do I think it's really realistic? Any of those three guys um, in AJ Brown, DK Metcalf or Debo Samuel actually gets traded? No, I don't. But I mean, hey, Joe Douglas said he, he's willing to strike. And if one of these kind of if they're in contract extensions, then it goes south. You never know. Yeah, you know, to me, it was one of those where, I, you know, like you said, we kind of just laughed about it a little bit because, yeah, yeah, sure, every general manager should want to try and trade for Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf. They are all, what, 24, 25 years old and some of the best playmakers in the game, all in different ways, too. You know, Debo is one of those, I mean, running back, 
can be used around the middle of the field. Decaf, DK and AJ Brown, athletic freaks um, who really are just Ole Miss game boys. changers. Ole Miss boys. Shout out Elijah Moore. Uh, a little bit different of a frame than those two, though, I'd say. Just a little bit smaller. Um, but, you know, it, it, it was funny to see all that just because, like, yeah, sure, if, if they're available, the Jets need to be involved in those conversations. But right, right. But almost like, all are three, they available? Almost all three of those teams, I think, have come out to this point. The only one I haven't seen come out and be like, A.J. Brown's our guy is the Titans. But uh, Cal Shanahan was like, yeah, I'm going to recommend to John Lynch that we extend Debo Samuel. And then Pete Carroll was like, I don't want to get rid of DK Metcalf. Have you seen him play football? So the importance of the receiver position, especially when you have a guy that is sure the, the contract is going to be uh, coming up soon. You got to extend him. You're going to pay the big money. The thing that we were talking about too, is for the jets, it's almost like those guys are going to be third contract receivers that you try and target. They're going to get their massive extensions off of their rookie deals. And then later when they're in their late 20s or early 30s, if they're still at the top of their game, that's when the team's going to look to unload because of how deep the wide receiver position is. You can always kind of replenish through the draft. And um, and so that's I, – I, I like the idea behind it. I do. I, yeah, of course, if those guys are available, you're going to try and make a move for it. But I, I just – there's no way to me – there's one guy – the only guy I would say potentially is DK just because of the idea of a total rebuild there. The 49ers and the Titans are both contenders right now. Um, you know, both were deep into the playoffs this past season. Um, and so I, I just, neither of those guys are getting moved. If anything, DK, but Pete Carroll came out and was like, no, no, thank you. I'm going to keep him. Yeah. And, and it really just comes down to like, even if you're in a complete rebuild, why would you trade? a 24 year old freak, you know, like, yeah. like a unicorn at the position, which is what DK and all these guys really are. So, you know, it's fun to talk about on Twitter. I, we, I definitely wanted to touch on it for a second here, but yeah, overall, not too realistic. If something crazy changes and you start to hear one of them disgruntled, then maybe start thinking about it, but it, it's, it's not likely to happen. It, it did have me thinking who the actual guys would be because I don't think those three names would be available. And there were a couple that I thought through, but there's circumstances that I've, I guess have changed it a little bit. For instance, if Tom Brady doesn't come back, is Mike Evans available? You know, he's a guy that is going to be up for that third contract soon, freak of nature, getting up there in age, has a you know little bit of injury history there with Tampa Bay just say, let's get the most we can for him. We got Chris Godwin, we've got some other playmakers. So Mike Evans was a guy that came to my mind, but with Brady back, it just doesn't make sense. Um, after that, it's it's tough to find those guys. Uh, there's a there's there's so many talented receivers out there, but um, then you can also just look at free agency. There are talented receivers there. You can look in the draft. There are talented receivers there. Talented receivers everywhere. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. When that next guy does come available, uh, if it's before the draft, do the Jets try and make a move? If the Jets go wide receiver heavy in the draft, are they officially like, all right, we'll just sit back a little bit. That'll be just something to keep an eye on because obviously they have made it very clear they're going to be in on any available playmaker. Um, so then to move on to just some quick housekeeping, um, we've got two kickers now for the New York Jets. Uh, re-signing Huge. Eddie Monero on his RFA deal um, and then bringing Greg Zerline, Greg the Leg, who was most recently in Dallas or? Yeah. Dallas. Okay, gotcha. Um, and then also bringing in Solomon Thomas, former uh, Robert Sala player in San Francisco, or originally was drafted uh, with the second overall pick, um, slid in 
to a defensive tackle position uh, after a couple of years of really not getting things figured out at edge. Plus in San Francisco, there really wasn't a need for him to play that position. Now it comes to the Jets. He will be a defensive tackle. Just a, another guy. Let's. I'll ask you first. Thoughts on the kickers. Thoughts on Solomon Thomas. I've got my thoughts on Thomas. I don't care about kickers. Yeah, I mean, I won't go as far to say I don't care about kickers because in these past five years, we've seen the Jets take the strategy of like we're going to have one random free agent or a draft pick and just go into preseason or training camp or whatever it is and just hope for the best. And then they end up being horrible and we end up having to try to fight a guy in the third or fourth week or whatever it may be, which is not, not the way to go. And I understand that like kicker doesn't seem to be the most important position, but when you're trying to put yourself in a place where you're going to be in games late and you're going to try to give your um, young quarterback every chance to succeed, having a strong kicking game is important. So just to see that they're taking two guys who, I mean, Eddie Pinero did well last year and Greg Zerloin, however you say his name is, is, I mean, he's got a boot. He does. He's the man. So I fully expect him to win the, win the battle. We'll see what happens in training camp, but just to see that they're getting two veteran guys, as opposed to just hoping for the best throwing darts at the wall. I'm happy to see it. Yeah, look, I kickers are important because they're a roster spot and in a game of field goals and extra points, it's important. But um, to me, I'm just like, to me, it's a shuffling door. The The Colts had a really good one two years ago in, in uh, Rodrigo Blankenship. He gets hurt. We bring in Michael Badgley. He was money all season, and now he's just the kicker. To me, it's one of those where it's like, yeah, it's it's such a hard position to con- nowadays to consistently get great for a long term. Where to me, sure, if Greg can turn on his tenure with Dallas wasn't as great as it was with um, the Rams before the Vikings. I yep, think it was the Rams. Rams. So it, it it wasn't as good. Hopefully, he can turn things around. But I agree. Look, give give the young guy a competition. Give Zerline a competition. It's nice instead of just like you said, going in with one guy and just saying, "Here's a job. Best of luck." Right. Um, exactly. And then, any thoughts on Solomon Thomas? Yeah, I mean, th- this is awesome to me. I know that he's a guy that you like targeted um, in some of the articles that you wrote as a good fit. I definitely think, like when Salah got hired last year, the big thought was that we're going to start signing all of these. Um, 49ers you know and and I think it kind of just didn't come to fruition last year this year you're seeing more and more of those guys that that have had a relationship with with Salah in the past um so I mean and just with the with the versatility I think it's just like it's a it's a classic signing for this regime with the Jets and just that they're targeting guys who can't move inside play outside and are also going to be able to pass rush a little I think based on what I was watching yeah, so basically with Solomon Thomas, you're getting a zero in the run game, but you're getting some guy right. in, in the interior that can rush the passer. And and I like it because Joe Douglas wants to have the deepest defensive line rotation in the entire football league. You know, that's why Quinn and Williams played 52% of snaps. He is rotating guys in and out and in and out. And so it doesn't hurt to bring more bodies in there, especially guys that have familiarity with the defense. Um, I don't think Solomon Thomas is going to uh, I don't think he's going to start. I don't think that he is going to be he's going to be a pass rush specialist, 
which is fine because you need to have guys to have specific roles when you are rotating that heavily. My only problem is, and I, and I'm teasing a, a piece that I've got coming out soon uh, for SI. They have nobody to stop the run. They have nobody. Hi, Bush. Hi, buddy. They have no one. Uh, the people that are just listening, they're like, what's going on here? You got to go to YouTube. Know, right? We're on YouTube. Got to go to YouTube. New York Jets, Chasing69, YouTube.com. You can see what I'm talking also about. Also, follow us just... on Twitter, NYJ underscore Chasing69. We got to put that in the rundown to mention yeah, that right? at the beginning. That's the piece we keep leaving out. Or I can just sure remember it whenever I remember it in, in yeah. Yeah, however just... many minutes we're into this episode <laughs> and just hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was better than last week where we waited till the last second. But um, right, right. anyways, with Solomon Thomas and this move, I'm just I'm staring at this defensive line and there's still just no run stuffers. Everybody on this team graded extremely poor against the run this past year, albeit Quinnen Williams, who was I, it was around average league average against the run. Um, so to me, that's my only problem is that there's just not a lot of great guys against the run. And you heard. Um, and I, I believe I, I keep end up quoting or um, taking stuff from what I hear on other shows, but in Badlands, they're mentioning the Jets don't view their linebacker problem as a linebacker problem. They view their linebacker problem as a problem of the defensive line was not able to create enough holes or create space for the linebackers to do the job that they needed to do. And um, especially when that comes to the run game, you need some defensive tackles and some edge rushers that can hold up against the run and open up those uh, free paths for the linebackers. And so Jacob Martin, love his pass rush ability. Um, and same with, uh, with uh, Solomon Thomas, but I'm still just sitting at a point with this room where I'm like, when are we stopping the run? When are the Jets going to stop the run here? But that being said, I do like the signing because add depth. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then that was all the moves, right? There hadn't been anything else outside of signing no. guys coming back, but um all right, so let's move on to then, I guess, Which this has been, just real yeah. quick, keeping up on the, the free agency every week has been just real enjoyable, you know? We have stuff just, to talk about. If, if right, this was a just cult- feel Consistently, they're bringing in signings that I like, you know? I mean, last week, scrolling yeah. down here, we had Tyler Conklin and Jacob Martin and re-signing Flacco, you know? And it's like three weeks in a row now where I'm sitting here and I'm saying, I, I like these moves, you know? So, good on them it's nice to be active in free agency without being dumb. Um, yes. And, and so, yeah, it's good to see. I, I do like it. All right. So moving on now, um, league meetings this past week, we got to hear, as we mentioned from Robert solid, Joe Douglas, Teddy, a couple of these, I didn't necessarily hear about the first one that I think is the most pertinent to talk about. Uh, we're moving Elijah Vera Tucker. He is going to be moving to the right guard position. Um, I guess when you pay Lake and Tomlinson 13 million a year, He's going to be playing the same position that he was beforehand. So he'll be staying at left guard, which is where he played with the 49ers. I think we had assumed, um, everybody had assumed that given how AVT had performed in his rookie season and Lakin is a little bit more experienced, the flip would have been done where AVT stays at left guard. Tomlinson goes to right guard. Um, Your thoughts on, I guess, this decision that kind of everybody was a little bit surprised by. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely just not exactly what we were expecting. Um, I, I do, I don't hate their reasoning behind it. Um, listening to Sala in his press conference, he basically said Lakin's a former pro or he, he made the pro bowl last year there. He, he has the experience there um, to really solidify the position. And when you look at Elijah Vera Tucker, 
he's younger, which Salah implied makes him like more versatile. And he also going back to college has changed his position basically four years in a row and continued to succeed four years in a row. Um, So I don't hate that. I do. When you look at the line, because of course you still have to remember with um, Becton and Fant, they're still kind of, not ready to commit to one or the other fans going to be in the conversation at left tackle. Another thing Salah made clear. Um, I, I, I just, it's kind of funny when we're, we're sitting there and we're like, we're really going to get this left side, the more important side, when you think about the pass game and defending our, our quarterback's blind side with, with Becton and AVT for the next X amount of years. And now we're looking at it and saying, well, that might be the right side, you know? So I don't think it, it is a huge deal. I don't think it's going to completely deter um, the success of the team. And I don't think that it's necessarily set in stone. Once we get to training camp, things could still change. Mm-hmm. Definitely just interesting. And we'll kind of just see, have to see how they perform, you know, but, but I do kind of think that right guard might be an easier position than left guard. So taking the younger player and plugging him in there. Yeah. I, I think mentioning that ABT had moved around the line in college a lot, probably makes this decision a little bit easier. I've almost heard, and I was listening to um, was in in the trenches podcast, or I was listening to a show where they're breaking down offensive line adjustments and and making the jump from college to the pros. And a lot of young players really struggle at right guard. And that's because if you're a really good guard in college football, you're on the left side because that left side is more important to a college passing offense. Um, you know, like you said, protecting the blind side of quarterbacks. And so all of the best guards coming out of the draft usually for the most part are playing on the left side because that's where it's most important. So then it takes a little bit to adjust to that right side. This is where in my eyes, I liked the Lake and Tomlinson signing, um, but even more so above that, I would have really loved to bring James Daniels in um, from the Chicago bears, because not only is he a young guard, he has also played right guard throughout his entire time in college, came into the pros right guard right away. Um, to me, you know, thrives in zone blocking schemes. He would have been a perfect fit. And then you can just keep AVT at the left side where he did really well this past season. So that's my only thing when I look at it and I go, you know, I would have assumed Lakin would have just taken the right side to kind of help um, AVT's development, just solidifying one position. Because look, if he is this great guard that you drafted in the first round, not to say that Lakin is, is not going to be around for a long time. He's still got a lot of football left, but you would probably want to invest your youth in those more important positions. So I don't, I don't hate it, especially like you mentioning ABT is very versatile um, in terms of where he's played throughout his collegiate career. Um, And he's a talented dude. So he probably figures it out anyways. But just when I look at the moves that could have been made, I would have loved to have seen getting in James Daniels, who's a few years younger very talented right guard already. And then it's just like insert him in line is fixed. Now we've got a guy who's adjusting to a new position. It'll probably still be fine. That's just my only thought on it. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that in terms of the right guard, left guard, the reason that right guards aren't as good is because the good ones are playing left guard, you know? So as right. AVT has shown us, he can be a great player. That's a good Moving point. to right guard. He might be able to succeed. Like you said, I, I do think it's it's one of these things where likely it's not going to be a huge deal, but we are just going to have to kind of wait and see yeah. where all these guys fall once we once we start putting some pads on and, and get into it. Exactly. 
All right. And then so, uh, Teddy, a little bit more on this. Sala, maybe not calling out guys necessarily, but did mention a few individuals in his um, in his league meetings. A little bit more on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that one of Sala's skills and, and honestly, through a, a, to an extension with Joe Douglas, I think he has it a little less. But excuse me, one of Sala's skills is that he kind of challenges guys through compliments or, you know, he doesn't he doesn't come off as he's putting them down. But basically in his league meeting press conference, he said he said, you know, like we want back we want Makai to come back and and kind of get back on the field and perform the way he did. And we want Mimsy to have the best year that he's had so far. We want Ashton Davis to, it's not gonna to take bounce much. back. Right. And basically what they're saying is is these guys did not perform as well as they should have in, in the second year. And, and Salah definitely gave a lot. He said, you know, the second year, a lot of guys struggle because their mind is elsewhere. They're not focused. They have some money in their pocket, which all these things are true. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you're saying, okay, well, my second year guys didn't have their head in the right place last year, that's a challenge to say, okay, here comes year three. Are you going to, are you going to really, put in the work and have your mind where it needs to be and commit. I mean, when I first heard it, I kind of thought in my head, I was like, Oh, they're, they're invested in Mims, you know, like Salah wants to see him exceed or succeed. But, but at that same time, I do kind of think it's one of these things where, where they're challenging, challenging these guys and they're either going to show up or, you know, be done. And I think to be honest with you, the Joe Douglas um, interview, I believe just came out today. So I haven't had a chance to watch it, but in what I saw about it, I believe he had similar con uh, similar comments about these guys and the 2020 class in general, you know, and it's basically like, hey, you're either going to come and show up and, and show us that you need to be here or you're not going to be here anymore, you know, and I don't think they're going to get caught in the weeds of, oh, well, I drafted him, let's hold on to him, blah, blah, blah. I think they're going to be willing to cut bait if, they're not showing them what they need to see. Good GMs and good coaching staffs admit when they make mistakes and move on from them instead of prolonging them. And, and you can go back and take a look as recent as the Rams realizing they made a mistake by extending Jared Goff. They made the trade for uh, Matthew Stafford. They win a Super Bowl. Bing, bang, boom. You make bad decisions. If they don't work out, you correct them quick. It, I like the way that Sala formed those quotes. I, I Like I said, I, I didn't really have um, a ton on that. Um, but hearing the way that you presented it, it, it is a, it does seem to make sense why so many players are fond of Robert Sala as a head coach. And that's something that's been talked about for well over a year now, ever since he was brought into New York, it's like, this is a guy that other, that athletes are going to want to spend their time playing for. And, um, He's he's motivating them while complimenting them and saying like, yeah, this guy's a beast. Look at what he did in college. He's awesome. We want him to be that guy for us. Um, and then it's, it's also that like, hey, it's, it's almost put up or shut up time. Like we, we got to start seeing things turn back in the right direction or else your time here is going to be limited. So I like that. I think it's a pretty good way to uh, to position yourself as a head coach where you're still being extremely player friendly, but also sort of kind of nudging them in the way where it's like, hey, we really got to see some improvements here heading into next season. Yeah. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I mean, it, it seems like at least Makai, I mean, I'm a Makai guy. He got injured Me last too. year. It sucks, but it seems like he's putting in the work, you know, and obviously that's what you're seeing on social media and whatever, but 
I mean, he looks good in those videos. So what do you change his Twitter he's... handle to big bust instead of big? Yeah. I mean, yeah. everyone has basically just written him off, which the, the big thing it's about crazy. last year with Makai to me is that everyone wants to complain about like the weight and how he wasn't able to recover from his injury. But you also have to remember, like he didn't get injured in a non-contact injury because his body is, is a poor whatever. And, and is conducive to injuries. He got injured because a running back fell on his leg and rolled up on his ankle. And, and mm-hmm. because of the way that his, um, his body is, it's been harder to recover. You know, I will say there was news that he, um, the, I don't know that like things still aren't going well, I guess, but, but uh, it's going to just, again, be one of those things where it's March now come, come training camp time. They, we hopefully are going to see this guy be out, out there on the field and not just sitting there saying, okay, well, hopefully he's going to make it. You know what I mean? So, right. I think I saw something hopeful ready for OTAs. It's like, we, we want him to be ready by then. Um, right. So hopefully he can get back in shape. And yeah, some of these other guys, uh, Ashton Davis, Denzel Mims, we, we've spoken about both of them a little bit. Uh, underwhelming starts to their careers, at least with Becton, we've seen the like the good that he can be. Um, right. And, right. and with these other two, we probably just need to see a little bit um, more of an improvement for them heading into their next year. I've personally thought that Mims doesn't see the the opening week roster. We'll see if that uh, how that turns out. I know that there's still a draft to be played, an entire offseason. So we'll see where that's at. But um, it got, I mean, yeah, if men's can turn around, that's that's awesome. He's going to be that your what, be awesome. wide receiver five at that point, wide receiver four. Like, that'd be a great guy to have. All right. Well, let's move on now to the, I guess, the big conversation and the big topic of the day um, with the fourth pick. We're going to be taking a look at the Jets' fourth overall selection, taking a look at some options there. We are both aligned. We are both hashtag Team Thibodeau. Um, we'll talk about him a little bit. Um, and then we'll take a look at maybe some other positions that are out of the picture at the moment, at least with the fourth pick. Um, and, and we'll kind of get just go through the draft room. Um, so, Teddy, it's such an interesting class because even a, another guy at another position we were mentioning before this show, we entered the year with two really freak athletes um, at important positions, at positions that the Jets need. And then throughout this period now, since, you know, the beginning of the college football season, they are both being slighted for one reason or another. And as far as Thibodeau goes, there's a lot of concerns over his um, enthusiasm with the game or his passion, his desire for money. He's made some comments. He wants to go where he can make the most money. I think he made a couple of comments about tax-free states. Um, kind of stirring a little buzz. He's a uh, outgoing individual. Um, all that said, he's a freak of nature edge rusher. And in terms of the generational prospects we've seen over the last five years, no, he is not a Miles Garrett or a Joey Bosa or a Nick Bosa, but he's probably just right under there in terms of what he can develop into at the professional stage, just given his frame, his athleticism, his build, all of it. If it, if it all works together, he can be one of the better pass rushers in football. And yet we're sitting here and there's a chance he could be the third edge rusher selected uh, behind guys like Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker. People want to throw Jermaine Johnson in there a little bit. As far as Thibodeau goes, what do you love about him or what what do you think of the concerns over his character? Because we know that we know that Robert Saul is a big per, uh, uh, love football guy. And we've gotten some contradictions now between that and, and Thibodeau. Break it all down for me. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the player, his kind of 
film and resume speaks for itself. I mean, he's a guy that's been kind of clearly in this top three or four picks um, conversation dating back to, you know, the end of the year and the Super Bowl and all those things. I just think that like in, and even just watching like short clips of him and, and whatever you may come across, like you just, every time you just like see the explosiveness and you see the way that he just like gets off the ball and things like that. Um, the character concerns are odd and it's a weird thing to juggle when you're thinking about how the jets have handled the last year or two years with Joe Douglas and Sala. They basically are, have made it clear that they're like taking guys who love football. I mean, you look at last year's draft and you look at a guy like Michael Carter and Elijah Moore and like those guys literally live and breathe football. And it's clear in the way that they carry themselves and conduct themselves in interviews and, and things like that. Like you can just see how much they love the game itself. Now, in terms of Thibodeau, his character concerns, I mean, it mostly just stems from these like kind of vague reports. And I know one of the big things I'm seeing is like, oh, in, in interviews with um, in interviews with the teams, he's like bringing up his brand and he mentions his brand and how he wants to grow his brand, which to some people is a red flag. So it is it, it, it's an odd place to be at, because on one hand, I do think that like the, if this guy doesn't isn't living and breathing football, then the Jets aren't going to want him as much as they may want someone else. But then at the same time, it's like the two aren't mutually exclusive, like just because he wants to build his brand. That's called understanding the world we live in in today's age and being a young kid and knowing, hey, I have a platform. I'm going to be pretty rich and be in the NFL. I can make a lot of money doing things like, you know, being on social media and having a brand and doing all that. Like, like you're just dumb if you don't believe that in yourself. So I don't think that that necessarily means that he doesn't like football. So then when you go and you look at the, the um, football side of things, I mean, he's just great. So I don't really think it's a concern. I mean, obviously, there might be more stuff I don't know, but I just building your brand doesn't really bother me that much in the way that the world is today. Yeah, for some reason, it seems everybody has a problem with it because he isn't already made. You know, when when Juju Smith-Schuster had a terrific rookie season, second season, whatever it was, when he became Juju Smith-Schuster and then he started pulling in all the brand stuff and he was on Fortnite and he's doing TikToks. One of the biggest social media guys out there right now is Tom Brady, who's fucking 45 years old. You know, everybody in the NFL understands it's a business. It's about monetizing yourself. You see now in college football with the NIL, this is going to be something that comes up years and years and years from now. Like every guy is going to be focused on, okay, look, I love football, but I also understand I've got maybe 15 years of this. And honestly, you only have 15 years if you're an all-time great. The average lifespan of an NFL player is what a couple of months. Um, yeah, which literally is crazy. Like so if you're a guy that's coming out of the draft, yeah, you should be focused on that. You, you do not have much time here. It is not, you, you can't take these days for granted. So I agree. I don't really play in too much to the trying to, I'm trying to build my brand. Everybody's trying to build their brand. We're starting a podcast. We're three episodes in. We're tweeting at people or replying to stuff. We're just trying to build our brand. What's the problem with trying to just make everybody know who you are? You are one of the best players. You back it up on film. Um, as far as him physically, I mean, God, 
not only the fit with the Jets, you can put him out in that wide nine slot uh, on the defensive front when he's rushing the passer. He's going to be terrific with that. Um, he is a little um, at times, I don't know, doesn't necessarily have a plan too much, I guess, when you think about it. Sometimes he's just like, I see you. I'm just going to do whatever I can to get past you. And I think a little bit times he gets caught up in not having a plan. Um, so maybe that's just something where he needs a little bit better uh, pass rush moves and array of tools. But physically, I mean, what are the measurements? Six foot five, 258, really long arms. Um, he's got uh, an absurd first step off the line. Um, and and it's it's something that you usually see from those guys like Jacob Martin, who's a little bit smaller, you know, on that edge side or a linebacker that almost gets off the line like that. Um, it's an NFL build, shoulders, arm length. Uh, waist he's got uh, flexibility um, so you're right he's he's just a great player and for me it's not character concerns it's he understands that this is a business that he's entering and he's trying to be good at building business and, and so um, I, I don't get the uh, concerns there. I know a lot of people love some of the other edge prospects in this class and it is a deep class but as soon as it gets to pick four, um, I think we're both on the same page that Kayvon Thibodeau should be the pick for the New York Jets. Yeah. And I mean, I think that with the character concerns kind of coming out so early, I mean, it's in that time where, where every team is kind of putting out the, like, who knows if this is like a false story that a team put out to try to dissuade other teams from picking him. You Robert know what I Sala mean? Did. Right. Exactly. Or Joe Douglas, you know, and, and, and I, I really do think it's like, yeah, he's, in my opinion, he's the guy we should take. But we also all have to remember he might not even be there. You know, right. like oh, yeah. he could very well be taken with one That's of those first point. three picks. And then we're sitting there and, you know, what do we do? And that's kind of what I'm excited to get get to in a, in a few minutes or seconds here, just because it, like. It, to me, it's so clear if he's there on the board and the Jets need an edge rusher and he's the guy who's like worthy of that number four pick. But then it's OK, well, if he's not there, do we do we take the shot on Jermaine Johnson or Trayvon Walker if he's up there or do we kind of spring for a receiver or a corner or an offensive lineman or do we take Kyle Ham Hamilton and spit in the face of Jets fans, you know, like what are all these, all these kind of options? And, and in terms of that, let's say that Thibodeau's not there. Let's say it goes Hutchinson, um, who is an edge rusher, Evan Neal and Thibodeau. I'm missing a guy here, but, or excuse me. No, that's perfect. Like, who do you see the jets taking then? At that point, it's it's interesting because there's there are certain positions now where I just don't believe that you necessarily need. To me, the offensive line, look, I love Iki Aquanu, and I think that he should probably – I think he's the best overall player in this draft class, but if you draft him now, where does he go? Do you say goodbye to one of your tackles? Do you try and – where do you move him? Where, where do you put him inside? I mean, you've got AVT, you just paid Lake and Tomlinson. He's not really a center. Um, so at that point – Offensive line doesn't make a ton of sense for me anymore. Uh, we can talk about this now. We've seen some mock drafts that have them coming receiver at four, and that's very high for the position. Um, you know, it, it reminds me of that year that we had Jets wide receiver Corey Davis selected with the fifth overall pick out of Central Michigan. Um, so there's definitely a few different ways that they can go about it. Wide receiver, to me, 
just given the depth. Um, I, I, four, you can make sure that you've got your guy if, if you've got one specifically there. And, and I believe it was Mel Kuyper that had Drake London, uh, wide receiver from USC, who um, I love, uh, had him at four. He could be available at 10. Um, almost uh, it, there's a chance that every top receiver is available at 10. So do you want to take the risk at four when you can go and get someone at cornerback like Sauce Gardner, um, another edge rusher like Trayvon Walker, Jermaine Johnson? It really is tricky. I, it's tough to people have been bashing Kayvon Thibodeau for so long now where everybody has kind of just formed the opinion. Well, like, oh, he's going to be there at four, but we're right. still a month away from the draft now. So who knows in two weeks if the concerns are gone. Houston sitting there at the second pick and they're like, eh, we'll take him. Why not? Right. Right. And I mean, I, I think that when you look at all these different options that they may, all the different possibilities, I'll say, um, it, it really comes down to how they feel about the wide receiver class in, in terms of depth and in terms of where these guys are going to go. Because if they're sitting there and they're saying, okay, well, I think, Jahan Dotson or um, I'm trying to think of kind of some of these other second tier guys, if they think they can get one, one of those second tier guys, um, Chris Olave maybe falls to, to the early second round. Christian. Then, Watson. Right. Maybe then maybe they say, okay, well, we like these guys that are in this kind of second tier. Maybe we'll go ahead and we'll take a cornerback and an edge or, you know, with, with, Jermaine Johnson and, and sauce or whatever, but it just gets into this world where you're like, how badly do you want that number one receiver, you know, and would you be willing to say, you know what, well, may maybe this isn't the, the perfect value, but I want this receiver and I don't want to risk him going to eight, you know, and, and I'm going to go take him. And it's just really, it, it's just really interesting to think about, especially with these top receivers. I want one. And I really want them to take one at 10, you know, but what if they love sauce Gardner? What if they want him at 10? What if they want Derek Stingley at 10, you know, like then do they spring for, and if Thibodeau's not there at four, do they spring for a receiver at four because they say, Hey, fuck it. Or do they go up and say, I think sauce is going to be picked at seven. I think sauce is consensus um, right now looking across a lot of uh, mock drafts on NFL mock draft database free fucking plug for them um, is that, is that uh, Ahmad Gardner will be picked sometime, you know, around seven. So it's, Hey, do we think he's going to be there? How bad do we want him? Do we want Kyle Hamilton? Despite what all the Jets fans think don't, I mean, he's a, he's a run stopping pass stopping versatile safety. I mean, can you really hate the pick if you're sitting there and you're saying, I don't think there's an edge rusher that deserves to go top four. So you go and pick the safety. I mean, there's just so many possibilities and it, it's hard to say like, I want this. When we sit here, we know the best case scenario and the, the best way to help the Jets seems to be clearly a, an elite edge rusher, you know, opposite Carl Lawson kind of fills out that room that they're building with the depth pieces they brought in. And the ability to, to rush the pasture has just not been there for the Jets. So I definitely sit there and I'm saying with one of these two picks, I want an edge rusher. But it all just comes down to like how they're ranking these guys and how bad they how highly they they uh, think of Sauce Gardner or Derek Stingley or any of these receivers, you know. What makes this draft so much more difficult to kind of play out as opposed to the last five, six years, we usually know 
picks one, picks two, picks three. It's either the freak of nature, once in a generation edge rusher with the number one pick, or it's quarterbacks one through three. You know, when you already know, you know, last year we knew picks one, two, and three were going to be quarterbacks. Picking four through eight, you're like, okay, we know the best non-positional, you know, non-quarterback players are going to be available. Or in this one, yeah, Aiden Hutchinson is probably the number one overall pick to Jacksonville. The Jaguars spent a lot of time upgrading their offensive line um, in this past offseason. They bring in a couple of guards. They gave Cam Robinson the franchise tag. They're probably set there. They probably are going to go edge rusher. Pick two, Houston. They have, or Detroit, sorry. They have needs everywhere. And what's crazy is we might not even be at the part of the offseason yet where the quarterbacks get bumped up to this. You know, usually by now I would have said from last year, we already had the San Francisco trade up to three and we knew Jacksonville and New York were going to take quarterbacks. So this was well figured out already. There's still a chance Detroit could turn around and say, we met with Malik Willis. We love him. Jared Goff ain't it. We're going to go with him. Like we, we could very well be at that point where quarterbacks start moving up into the top 10 Carolina at six. What are they going to do? Or excuse me, are they at seven? I think they might be at seven. Um, but anyways, um, that's I what mean, makes it so tough to project because there's just we we usually every year can go into this knowing what the first two to three picks are going to be. And outside of the first overall pick, and even with them, I'm still not 100 percent sold it's Aiden Hutchinson, but um just just the fact that all of the teams up front have so many different needs. Um, it's going to be kind of just a cross your fingers and, and hope you get the guy that you want at pick four. And then even more importantly, pick 10. Yeah. Yeah. And I think talking about the quarterbacks is so important because it's such a real possibility, you know, that, that some team is gonna, is gonna fall in love with one of these quarterbacks and say, Hey, I mean, we want an upgrade. We think this guy's the future or a team farther back wants to trade up for him you know I don't want to risk Malik Willis going to some other team who wants to take him so I'm going to trade up into the top 10 you know there's all these possibilities and realistically one or two quarterbacks being taken in the top 10 is best case scenario for the Jets because that means we're getting two top eight players you know skill skill position wise so it really I mean this is what I love about the draft is all of the versatility like and all the different possibilities that there are but it, it's just funny to then you're like talking about it because it really is like it's a puzzle and it's not only a puzzle of which players get picked where but it's a puzzle of okay well where do these NFL teams how do they rank these guys that's the thing when you look at take let's talk about taking a wide receiver at four which wide receiver do they do they consider to be number one? You know, I know you right. like uh, Drake London. I know other people like Garrett Wilson, other people like Traylon Burks, you know, other people like whatever. Like, so you're saying, OK, well, I'm just going to take my guy. But let's say your guy, you have a pretty good feeling. I don't think anyone else has him ranked number one. I think he'll be there at 10. Then what do you do? You know, so it's like right. it's all these different things coming together. And when you're just like a a football nerd like us, I guess it's just, it's, 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 it's just one of the most exciting times of the year. It truly is. Mm-hmm. It is. And, and just to, I think we've talked about wide receiver. Now uh, we've spoken. I, I at least believe I, I didn't give you a chance to answer it. Do you think offensive line is just out of the picture at four? Yeah. I mean, I, I do struggle. I, mean, it has like, to be. I do. Yeah. I think it has to be part of me though. Like, I feel like there's always, there's that, um, I don't know, like a saying, maybe, I don't know, but people always say it's like when you start drafting for need, 
that's when you get yourself in trouble, like take the best player available. So if you're telling me we're sitting there at four and two or three edge rushers have gone off the board and we take a, a, a offensive lineman, I'm not going to be upset, you know, building that depth. We've already talked about how fam might not even be here two years from now. And we don't know how we can rely on Beckton and we'll have to see how Tomlinson fits. And like, there's all these different holes. So if they go and take an offensive lineman, will I be mad? No, but does it seem likely with all the other holes we have on the roster and the, the want to compete now and help your quarterback and to take a depth offensive lineman, you're going to hope becomes a starter in two years. I mean, it, it just does seem unlikely. Yeah. And I don't know if you feel the same way too. I, I'm starting at least at four. I'm starting to feel that way about the cornerback position. Um, just I, I, I take a look and I say Bryce Hall, uh, DJ Reed. I feel like those are the two starters for next season. Um, do you feel any differently where you're like, hey, at pick four, if they love sauce, we'll just send Bryce Hall to the bench because you're not sending Reed to the bench with his payday. You're not. No, so no. at that point, Bryce Hall. And I think reserved. he deserves to be there with his play. Um, I, I think. Again, I mean, I, I hate to keep saying this, but like it comes down to their evaluation yeah. with sauce. It's it's do they think he's like, do they want do they think he's important enough to go and say, I want to stake my claim in this guy like me personally? I I think the the ability of a corner who's able to like shut down half the field or shut down um, really athletic, great receivers that there are so many of in the NFL and in the AFC East. Like, I think that's obviously important. And I still like I like Bryce Hall and I, I still think we could upgrade from him at the position. But again, it's just when you look at kind of the moves they're making, they bring in DJ Reed. Does it seem realistic? They spring for a guy who maybe isn't going to be worth like a fourth round pick when there's other guys there. I don't I don't really see it. But would I hate it? No, but I don't really see it. I also just personally feel like the defensive scheme is so emphasized on the front seven where they don't really prioritize that back end, especially where it's, you know, it's a lot of cover three base and, and soft zone coverage. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people say that I just, I, I, I have a hard time really buying that though, because it's like, sure, maybe in the scheme, the corner is not the most important, but when you have a guy who's, who's a great cornerback, mm -hmm. I mean, that is, it's, it's game changing, especially a guy who has kind of the, the like, I don't even know like the nuances down in terms of sauce where it just seems like the way he's able to attack the ball with his length and the way he's able to um, kind of like anticipate what's going to happen next. I think those are like intangibles that are so important. So I hate to kind of like dismiss the corner, but at yeah. the same time, it just with their moves, it doesn't seem like that is what they're going to do. Yeah, no, I, that, I agree. And I think what that leads me to believe I think I'm officially at the point where um, number four, whoever's available, whichever guy it is, it will be an edge rusher. I think that's where yeah. I've settled on. I think I'm just I'm going through the list now. I still I I know that um, Kyle Hamilton is a beast at safety. I just there are certain positions that I just I don't see teams really investing high draft picks into. I think the day of even doing that. I mean, what was Jalen Waddle this past year? He was a six overall pick. And then Devonta Smith was uh, in the early 10s. 11, 10 or yeah. 11. So even to me, in front of up at four, I just, I look at, yeah, that was a great petty move. It's hilarious, by yeah. Um, to me, wide receiver is still too high at four. 
so I think I'm officially at the point where it's like, it's going to be best available edge rusher at four. And hopefully it's Kayvon Thibodeau, because I think his terms as, uh, as far as ceilings go, his is the highest outside of that. I probably go Trayvon Walker. Um, this is under the assumption Hutchinson is gone. I, I feel pretty confident he's going to be at the very least a top three pick. He doesn't to me get past Detroit just because of the Michigan there. connection and his, his connection almost, it seems like with, um, Dan Campbell, uh, it seems like they're, they're just meant for each other. So, um, to me, it's, it's Trayvon Walker, it's, um, Kayvon Thibodeau. And if it's neither of those guys trade back, why not accumulate more draft picks to me? Honestly, I I like Jermaine Johnson. I think he'd be available at 10. And if you trade back to seven or eight, he's probably still available there. Um, but I think I've, I think this first pick will definitely be edge rusher. Um, and, and then we've got, uh, all next episode to talk about the 10th pick as well too. So yeah. Any, any last things? Yeah. 10th pick is going to be a fun one. I'm excited to talk, uh, talk some receivers, but anything before we uh, wrap things up here, uh, on the fourth pick that we didn't get to talk about. I don't think so. It's just, it's real awesome to have two picks in the top 10. It it makes for like a real fun off season just to like dissect them. And it makes for a, a real opportunity to improve the team. So I'm and amped. When is the hey, draft? May April something? 27th. So we're oh, less than a month really? away. We're within a month. Let's go. Yep. I'm amped. April yeah, 27th. It's be fun. April 27th. Um, yeah. So, oh, excuse me. Um, yeah, that's going to be a fun one. Like I said, next week, we'll probably talk a little bit about the 10th pick, some other updates, what's going on around the league. Um, we'll just kind of work receivers. our way into the draft. Yeah, maybe we can uh, finish things off before the draft with a little Jets mock, you know, get some uh, mock drafts in there. I haven't done a mock draft yet. I'm excited to get my first one out in a little wow. bit. Um, Let's go. I know this is the longest I've waited for a mock draft before, but honestly, it's just because there's a lot of shit going on. Um, but yeah. And you're a Jets boy now. I'm a Jets boy. No, I'm a Colts boy, but we don't have a first round pick. So there's nothing to really get excited about anyways. <laughs> so fun times in Indianapolis. This is actually, this is giving me an off season to enjoy, uh, I guess, because I, there's just, I got Matt Ryan. That's about it. But I am. Um, well, when you're on the Jets side, this has been the funnest part of the year for too many years. Yeah, and hopefully, so hopefully, hopefully we're translates. dissecting the end of that, you know, yeah. and that's what we're analyzing right now. But again we'll have to wait and see what they put on the field yeah all right awesome well hey we're gonna wrap things up for today uh thank you guys so much for listening to episode three of chasing 69 a new york jets podcast i think that's probably just the tagline right there you just say a new york jets podcast right after makes things uh, just wraps a little bow on it guys Uh, make sure Jets podcast right new york jets it's all we're gonna talk about here Um, (laughs) and then uh make sure to uh, like subscribe to the podcast. I got to check. I Apple podcast has been fucking us. They have really been screwing me over. They've been taking longer than ever to approve our show. Um, I'll have to double check yeah. to see if we're up there yet, but Probably Spotify, we're so edgy. Amazon. Yeah, we were really edgy uh, kid friendly as well too. Uh, make sure to uh, follow us over on our YouTube channel, Twitter uh, at NYJ underscore chasing 69. You can follow Teddy. If you want at Teddy Huncho, I'm at Blake Andrew pace. Uh, Teddy, appreciate you doing this with me as always. We will see you guys next week. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Take care.